0: Welcome back to Cast everybody. Frank here, running solo right now on this one. This is uh, my recap to the recent goat hunt in Alaska. Um, I wasn't here the day Aaron did his recap. Tried to go out antelope hunting. I I ended up drawing a antelope doe tag. I don't even quite recall putting it in for, but that's what I drew. So uh, had one day to try to get that done. That was, um, I guess, that was the last day of season on the twentieth. So went out. Got on a couple stalks, ended up pretty close to a group of antelope, which was interesting because uh, last year I spent probably, I think it was like nine days total trying to kill a buck um, on this tag that I drew that took quite a few points. And I got out there on Friday, first thing, got on a stock, ended up 60 yards from a buck that was just standing there with his, uh, he had a group of does with him and and, uh, I only had, you know, the buck was... They were actually kind of standing in this brush, and the does were were behind a bunch of brush, and he was standing right there at 60 yards, so I could have shot at him, shot him. Um, and, uh, yeah, but only had a doe tag. So other than that, it was, it was a super windy day. This particular area that I was hunting, um, there's a lot of uh, rolling hills and, and oak brush and stuff like that, and on occasion they get in that oak brush, and you can get pretty close to them. But after the wind picked up, they didn't, like, hanging out in that in those trees and, and oak brush and stuff so they just moved out into the flats and they're kind of unapproachable from there so but yeah, it was a cool little hunt um, you know if you kill them on every single hunt that you go on it probably wouldn't be as fun so it was it was a fun experience and unfortunately just didn't get it done but here to talk today about about the goat hunt and man uh, just wanted to first start off by thanking Aaron and kafaru for giving me the opportunity it was definitely Something I've always dreamed about doing, and and uh, you know, you think about mountain goat hunting and shooting one with a bow. It's definitely a kind of a trip of a lifetime for a lot of a lot of people, and especially arch archery hunting. So, you know, I went up there with not a lot of expectations. Didn't really know what to expect. hadn't only been on one goat hunt, and that was last year with Lane, and that was a really cool hunt. And it was it was really quick. You know, we we hiked up day before season, found a, a pretty cool billy um, in you know, a great spot to hunt. Uh, Lane got in there the morning of the hunt. He, he looked at it in the spotter said he liked what he saw and put a stock on it. And you know, it was, it was dead before lunchtime. So, um, other than that, I wasn't quite sure what to expect. I'd never been to Alaska before and never hunted on the coast before. So it was all new to me. Um, and it was an awesome hunt, uh, ahead of time uh, Dennis, Dennis Zadra, he's the outfitter and the owner of Lonesome Dove Outfitters. Um, he kind of gives you a list of, of gear to bring and, and kind of what to somewhat expect. And then you, you kind of go off of that and, and, uh, you go in there and try to figure things out as you go. But one thing that for me, at least, um, not ever hunting on the coast, I wasn't quite sure how the weather would be. And on Dennis's gear list, he had a bunch of different clothing that you should bring, and there's a lot of like three of each thing, so like three shirts, three pairs of pants, I think like four pairs of socks, a few jackets, rain gear, and stuff like that. And, you know, coming from Colorado, um, we don't get a whole heck of a lot of moisture, and usually, you know, if you get in a, a bad rainstorm or you have a, you know, whatever, might, you might lose a half a day or maybe a day at the most. And from talking to Dennis, uh, he said there's a, you know, he books these hunts for I think 7 days or 8 days just because a lot of times you may be stuck in your tent for a few days on a on a rainstorm so it just doesn't let up and then you, a lot of times you will get fogged in. Um so yeah, looking at the gear list I'm like, yeah, man, I don't really want to carry all this clothing, so I'm going to bring a couple I'm going to bring the shirt that I wear and an extra shirt, a couple pairs of uh, pair of pants that I wear and then an extra pair of pants and then just one one hoodie, one puffy jacket, one pair of gloves and then uh, I think I had two or three pairs of socks. And um, you know, we get in there, uh, it's, it's a cool area. So he's based out of Cordova, Alaska. And it's uh, it, it's interesting, it's like a coastal mountain town. You, you fly in, it took, it took us three flights from Denver. So we flew from Denver to Seattle, Seattle to Anchorage and the Anchorage to Cordova. And that town at Cordova is, is kind of like out of a movie or something. You, you fly into this little town. I think he said something like 2,300 people live there. And uh, the unique part about that that town, and I don't know if this is unique to Alaska. I'm sure there's a lot of Alaskan communities like this, but uh, the only way you can get in there is either by boat or by plane. So they don't have any roads going in and out. So it's, um, it is kind of a secluded little area, really scenic. You got coastal mountains, um, rivers running everywhere. The, the oceans right there, there's a cool Harbor right there in town. And I think a lot of the income for the, that community is uh, commercial fishing. So in the harbor, you got a bunch of commercial fishing boats. And um, it's really cool. So we, we, we got in there uh, the evening of, I think it was Saturday evening. And uh, Dennis picked us up. And Dennis is a super cool dude. He, we, we see him at the airport. The airport's super small. And uh, he's wearing a, kind of a cutoff camo t-shirt with a with a bandana that says "Crazy Bastard" on it, so like Dennis is a kind of a badass. And um, yeah, he picks us up, takes us to the hotel. There, we drop off our stuff. The hotel is is uh, right on the harbor there, so you look out the window and you see you see the ocean, the harbor, and it's uh it's really scenic and cool. And we go back to his house and have uh, moose backstraps and salmon and meet all the guides and stuff. So it was a good time, to kind of BS a little bit, fill out all the paperwork that we need, and. He kind of let us know that next morning the uh, the guides were going to go out on a flight, double check the areas, make sure we we're good to go. And then they're going to come pick us up and we were going to get on our way. So um, Aaron and I, you know, we woke up pretty early on Sunday and uh, there was a, a bit of a, a waiting period. So they those guys got out early and flew and Dennis ended up picking us up probably around 10 a.m. and... Um, we already had all of our gear packed up in our packs, and Aaron and I were both testing out a, a newer pack. It's basically a, a bigger 44 mag, so that that pack worked out worked out really well. But um, got to Dennis's that morning, shot my bow, and I got to say, man, it doesn't seem like the TSA or certain members of the TSA support hunting because it, it looked like my bow had been kind of tampered with. I shot at 20 yards, and I was shooting like a foot to the right, and noticed my sight. Someone loosened the lever, I'm shooting a spot hog hog father, someone loosened my my, uh, elevation which you know that doesn't matter because I have a sight tape on there and all that stuff it's a four pin sight so that had been moved and then I was shooting like a foot to the right so somebody had also moved my uh, left to right so I shot at 20 yards it was it was kind of kind of off there Um, so I had a lot of downtime because Aaron got taken out first him and his, his guide and his packer and then I had to wait for the plane to get back so um, got my bow dialed in, shot was all set up talked to Dennis and the guides and made sure all of our gear was set up and uh, he had crampons and ice axes and all all bunch of stuff for us and um, loaded up on food and and at, before I knew it uh, we were ready to go and he took us out to the airstrip and this was definitely kind of a, an adventure for me because um, I know Aaron just Done this a bunch of times, flown in the smaller planes, but I'd never been flown into a spot. So you know, I've hunted a few different Western states, but never had that kind of opportunity. So it was really cool. He takes you out to this airstrip that's on a lake. Um, they have you know the small airstrip for the for the planes coming in on the ground, and then they also have um, they have the lake there that's got a dock that the the planes pull up to, and I think it's called something like a a beaver or something like that. It's a kind of a pontoon plane and the anticipations building we get to the dock there unload all the gear and basically what uh, Dennis likes to do is we bring gear for a base camp that we set up there on the beach or the coast and then uh, we bring also our backpacking gear so we can hike up and spike camp up uh, in the alpine areas above Timberline so we unloaded all that gear um, before we knew it the the plane flew in and uh, we started loading up, and the plane's a four-seater, so you got uh, a seat for the pilot, and you have three extra seats, so that left a seat for me, the guide, and the packer. Um, so the guide was Jimmy, and the packer was Martin, two really great guys, super smart guys, and fun to hang out with, and I would definitely uh, hunt with those guys again because they were—they made the experience a lot of fun. So we loaded up. We, uh, we had two uh, big Cabela's Outfitter tents for the base camp, a bunch of food. Um, lanterns and all kinds of stuff. And then we had our backpacking gear, which basically was the same stuff I'd usually take for, for mule deer hunting. We used, uh, their tents. So, uh, Dennis had a Hilleberg, uh, I think it was a Nomage I want to say Nomage three GT. Um, I might be wrong. I can't quite remember, but it was a, it was a big old three person tent. And then those guys shared a Marmot tent. So generally they will have a tent for the guides and the packer. And then they'll give the client their own tent or depending if it's a two on one hunt or, you know, whatever the clients will share, share a tent. Um, so uh, we took off, flew for, I'd say about 45 minutes to an hour. And, and we uh, came up to this bay and we kind of circled around and um, you know, the, the pilot asked the guy, he's like, is it the usual spot? And he's like, yeah, right there on the beach. And I'm looking down and, and it's not really a beach. It's uh, it's all rocky and there's, it's not what you would think. It's, there's this little tiny grass patch, probably 20 yards wide, and uh, that was that was the beach, and you could hardly even see it from the air. But everything else in this bay was all cliffy and uh, and rocky, so there wasn't really anywhere else you could get off. And at the end of the bay, there's uh, some some tidal areas where the, there's a river that runs into it, and. Uh, Talking to Dennis and the guides, they had had set up there in the past on one side of the river, but depending on the rains and stuff, if you get a bunch of rain, that river rises and you cannot cross to where you're going to be hunting. And if you set set up your tents too low in the tidal areas, well, of course, you're going to get water uh, moving up into your, into your tents uh, when the tide rises. And I think the tide rises twice a day. So anyway, we pull up to that beach spot, just a small patch of grass, and you kind of walk up probably... 10 20 feet um and then in this i didn't get any good pictures of uh of where we had set up camp but it's kind of like a bunch of blow down trees and there's just enough spot space to set up these two outfitter tents um and so we do that we unload everything we set up these tents in base camp and we had just enough time to uh to cross that bay and hike up so after we unloaded we We put together these uh i think it's called a zodiac raft it's kind of a a raft that you inflate and you put a wood bottom in there and loaded up our packs and and we started across that bay the bay was only probably 10 feet deep but um you know you can't really you obviously can't walk across it but we put our waders on paddle across it was really cool uh once the plane takes off you're literally alone out there you don't have to worry about any other hunters it's uh it's very remote and you kind of see there's a there was a couple seals swimming around eating uh, eating fish and they had all types of different seabirds, um, eagles and ducks and geese. It was it was it was an awesome experience. So we paddled across that that the bay, got into the tidal area, drug the um, drug the raft probably fifty to hundred yards and tied off on a on a big dead tree there that we knew wasn't going to float away with the tide. So. Did that walked across that tidal flat, probably a quarter to a half mile, and got to the base of the trees, uh, base of the mountain where there was it was kind of where the coastal rainforest started there, and um, took the took the uh, the waders off, put them in, in trash bags, and hung them up in a tree, and uh, we started to gear up and get ready to to climb the mountain. So um, this was a spot that Martin had packed for before, and Jimmy um, had not guided, but he'd uh, he'd guided nearby. And um, talking to Martin, he said, you know, this is probably going to take two and a half, maybe three hours or or so to, to get up there. And, and I'm looking at it, it's you start at sea level and you try to estimate how high it is. And you know, I, I guessed it to be about 1,500 to 2,000 feet of incline. And just kind of thinking, like, you know, I, all I can compare it to is, is Western hunting in, in the States here. And I figured, dang, man, I don't know if it'll take us that long to get up there. But... When we got to the base of the mountain, I had never really hunted any type of coastal uh, coastal rainforest before, and we don't have this kind of underbrush. Um, I'd hunted Idaho a few times uh, with friends, with Jordan Coward, and mm-hmm. one spot that we've hunted had a decent amount of underbrush, but this was like some next-level stuff, so I understood then why it was going to take so long because it was a lot of bushwhacking, and cool thing is, uh, Dennis, I was talking to him after the hunt and I was like dude who made these trails and he when he started this outfitting business he had busted the trail himself and um, I'm trying to do a good job of explaining this but if you've not hunted up an area with underbrush it's it's truly almost like a like a jungle there's just so thick with with different types of foliage and then you have the uh, all the stuff with thorns um, devil's club and stinging nettle and all that stuff I guess is what it's called um, so yeah this is a whole new. Venture for me, but uh, there was—I uh, guess you—you you could call it a trail. It was with uh, with those coastal areas. I guess that the foliage just grows like crazy, so um, you can see where there was kind of a trail. But a lot of that stuff had been grown over. So uh, Martin took the lead on that since he kind of knew where to go, and he had this funny little uh, like half sword that he used, kind of like a machete, and he was busting down um, brush as we went. So. It was a, it was super steep. You know, you kind of look up. I think I had a, a little video on my Instagram um, under the highlights showing where we started, and you kind of look, and there's like no trail, and it's it's just it's basically straight up, and you just start you start hiking, and you know it's uh, a lot of it either using your ice axe or trekking poles, or you're on all all fours, kind of holding onto roots and pulling yourself up. But it was kind of funny because those guys put on their rain pants to start. And I was like, why are you guys putting on your rain pants? And they're like, well, this brush is wet. You're going to get wet. So I did the same thing. In retrospect, I probably wouldn't do that again. I'd probably just put on gaiters and let my pants get wet because it didn't really matter. You know, you either put your rain gear on and you're going to get wet from sweat or you don't and you just get wet from from the uh, condensation and stuff that accumulated on the, on, the, on the foliage and brush and stuff. So um, after about... Two hours. We actually got up there a little bit quicker than, than Martin had thought, and we were up, we were finally up there, and it was kind of cool. I never used crampons before, uh, never needed to in a lot of the spots I've hunted here in Colorado, and uh, that last probably 20 or 30 minutes of hiking to get to the, our spike camp was really, really steep, and uh, we, we put the crampons on. Um, Dennis had a set for me to borrow. I don't really recall what brand it was, but the, the guide, uh, Jimmy and, and Martin, they both had a set of black diamonds, which looked really nice. So if I ever end up doing a hunt like that again, I'll purchase my own and probably get a set of those. Um, put the crampons on and we got up there and, and finally we got out of uh, got out of the brush and we were up in the Alpine where um, a lot of it kind of reminded me of the high country of Colorado, just really steep cliffy areas and um, spots where where goats like to live and nothing screws with them up there because it's so steep. It's kind of like the only animal that could probably get around well up there. Uh, so we set it. up, we set up our, our spike camp, which were, he had, they had marmot tent, I had the Hilleberg right next to a, kind of a creek that went into a waterfall. So we had a bunch of fresh water there and um, by that time it was getting dark, so we, we had uh, a couple of mountain house dinners and-, <laughs> and that, Oh my god. <laughs> uh, Aaron just walked by. Um, <laughs> we got our mountain houses ready and, uh, ate some dinner and kind of the, kind of went to bed and a- the antip- anticipation was growing the excitement Man, I was, I was pumped because, uh, you know, we were, we, we hiked up this one mountain. You look across where that river bottom was onto the next mountain there and it, you can kind of see what the terrain's going to be like. And it is just steep and cliffy, but yet, here and there you'd see all these little white dots and those are goats. Um, uh, we weren't hunting that particular mountainside, but you know, look just about everywhere you'd look you'd see you'd see groups of goats or you'd see a, a one or two by themselves and you know that just you knew you're in goat country and it was really cool so um right before bed uh it was clear and uh jimmy says if you wake up and it's foggy you might as well go back to sleep and uh, you know i i was like yeah whatever and i went to bed woke up pretty early and got up and we were fogged in and I was like, "Oh my God!" He called it, and I uh, you know, just I got up, got ready, ate breakfast, and all that stuff, and I'm just kind of standing there, wa- waiting for those guys to get up, and um, probably got up around six, six thirty, and uh, the fog stayed up there until about ten a.m., eleven o'clock, and finally it, it lifted just enough for us to kind of start or uh, ascent up the mountain into the cliffs to see if we could find goats and. It was actually pretty cool. Just just above camp, there's kind of a plateau that you couldn't see, but you you start climbing and then you, you can kind of see across. And probably 20 minutes into our hike, we saw a group of nannies or, yeah, nannies and uh, kids, um, probably about 10 or 15 of them. So it was, it was really cool. You know, you, you're excited and anticipating, not knowing what you're going to see. And then you, right off the bat, you see a bunch of goats. So it was it was awesome to kind of know that you're, you're right in, in them and you, you're going to probably get some some close encounters. Um, so we uh, we kind of circled around those. those. They ended up seeing us, and they kind of just uh, fast walked away. They would, weren't really overly spooked or anything, but they kind of just went up and over a peak, and we kind of uh, just... These coastal mountains are kind of like long ridges and with peaks and stuff like that, so we just kind of paralleled. Uh, the lower edge of these of these mountains, and spotted goats here and there, and and stuff. Try to find out which goats we'd be able to go after, um, and get to a decent without taking all day, basically. But um, along the way, it was really cool. You know, there's all these different uh, berries up there, and one thing I'd never had before is uh, wild blueberries. It was freaking sweet, cause there was there's the they have like these really fat huge ones and they have the small ones and um you just you're hiking along and every once in a while you'll come across them and you pick a few and i'd never had a wild blueberry before but man those things had crazy flavor so i thought that was one of the coolest things is just the uh being able to to walk by berries and pick berries and um, i'm sure all the people that live on the coast are probably like what is he talking about We, we do this all the time but it's not something we usually have here in colorado um you know We have some wild strawberries and I guess maybe raspberries, but nothing like, like those things. So it was cool. But um, we uh, we ended up probably hiking for about an hour, hour and a half. We found a, a really nice Billy up on this ridge. And the only way to get to him would be to circle back towards the way we came and pop over the top of this peak. And if it all went well, we'd come on the backside of the ridge that he was laying on. He was up on on the ridge laying down, kind of facing towards where we were initially walking to and if we were able to get up on this peak we'd be able to come right over the back of the ridge and probably end up at 20 or 30 yards from him so we decided that's what we were going to do it was a crazy steep peak um kind of a, a miniature basin had a lot of scree in it and we uh we kind of just you know zigzagged our way up to the top uh threw our crampons on for some of it and then we ended up in a lot of scree and you know it was pretty slow going um, I don't know if Aaron talked about this on his podcast, but, uh, one advantage uh, I'd say that people from out West would have that live at decently high elevations is, um, you know, we, we live here in Denver and it's, it's a, it's a mile high city. So over 5,000 feet. Well, down there in Alaska or up there in Alaska, you start at sea level. And then I think the highest point that we got to, um, when I checked my GPS was like maybe right around 3000 feet. So, you know, if you're in decent shape, um, you're not really ever going to get out of breath. You know, your muscles definitely get a little fatigued, but there wasn't really a a point where I was just, you know, dead tired. So, um, that was one of the the coolest things is just being able to hike and hike and hike and hike and not have to take the breaks that you normally would hunting the high country here. Um, so yeah, we, we made our way up, up to that peak and we, we got up there and like it usually goes, there was just a kind of like a gun sight type chasm between the peak and the ridge there. And it was like a 20, 30 foot drop. And then there was a little grassy spot there and then another 20 foot, um, cliff to get onto that ridge. So, you know, there, it, it would have been really risky to try to maneuver our way down that cliff and climb up the other side. Um, cause if you, if you slipped, you're probably going to fall and get really hurt or possibly, you know, something worse. And, uh, you know, we got up there, and we're like, shit, man. Maybe we can go back down this mountain, hug the mountain really close in these cliffs, and maybe we'll stay out of sight of that billy, and uh, maybe we can come up from the other side. So we made our way down um, down that peak. We stopped for uh, maybe like 10 minutes, had a snack, and then kept going. And, uh, yeah, we kind of used the topography of the mountain and the cliffs, and we we actually ended up— making our way up to pretty close to where that billy was. And right about when we got to where we could start a stock, the fog rolled back in and it just started dumping rain. So uh, at this point, you know, I'm freaking soaked in sweat. Um, I'm not used to hunting in humidity, so I'm just pouring sweat. And my clothes are already soaked. But I throw my rain gear on and... We probably stood in the rain there for an hour and a half to two hours, just trying to, hoping that that storm was gonna lift. And eventually, you know, you start getting cold and I threw my puffy jacket on. And I gotta say, uh, our Lost Park parka and the slick bag, not to make this a sales pitch, but you know, the synthetic insulation, that Clemichael Apex insulation, that is one thing that really saved me um, because I was soaked and throwing that on that insulation it still keeps you warm even when it's wet. Um, so I had that on underneath my rain jacket, which wasn't ideal because you know, I have the the sweat underneath the jacket, and that was kind of passing through the insulation and it was um, wicking to the top of my my uh, parka. So the outside of my parka was wet, and then you know it wasn't really breathing well because I had the rain gear on top of it. So it wasn't an ideal situation, but Um, you know, you're standing out there in the rain for two hours. You got to do what you got to do. And if that means getting your your gear wet, then that's what it means if you're going to stay out there. So we tried to, we tried to stick it out and, um, you know, we just, the storm just wasn't going to lift. So, um, the goat, we didn't feel like, uh, knew we were up there we just decided to hike down and it was a pretty slow going hike back to camp. Um, in the rain, it was cold and it was pretty miserable. And, um, you know, that's, uh, I was talking to those guys and they say they get a lot of hunters that they get one, one rainstorm or they get caught in the rain for a little while and they just, they either want to go home then or they want to kill the first goat they can and, and head out. And, um, yeah, I mean, I could definitely see why someone would want to do that. It was, uh, we, that's not something that I'm used to hunting in and is the, just the humidity and the, and the, the, that type of wet conditions. Once you're wet there, nothing's going to dry out. And that's why. I then understood why Dennis had on his list of so, mon- so many different pieces of clothing because once something gets wet, it's not drying out. So um, on the hike up, I'd, I'd worn that super thin, uh long-sleeve hooded merino blend shirt. And that, that thing's really thin. So it, it, it under normal Western conditions, it'll dry out when it's wet. Um, well, it didn't dry out that next day. So I had a uh, Arcteryx merino shirt. It's a little thicker and warmer and I'd worn that on the first day of the hunt, and that was wet. So um, when I got back to camp, I didn't have any extra dry clothing other than um, I had uh, a Sitka heavyweight hoodie that I um, wore for a little bit of the day on the on on the first day of the hunt, so it was a little bit damp. Threw that on. I had some merino leggings um, that I put on when I got back to camp, and basically we uh, heated up some water for dinner, ate dinner, and I— hopped in the, uh, hopped in the slick bag. I brought a zero degree slick bag and hoped that, <laughs> hoped that I could kind of dry out. Um, you know, I was, it, it rained all night and I was kind of trying to figure out what am I going to wear tomorrow? That's not going to be wet. I had, uh, I did have an extra pair of pants, which were, uh, the Sitka Timberline pants. Um, I decided that I wasn't going to wear those until I actually had to, since I wanted to keep something dry. So I kept those in the tent, um, for the hunt, I wore the Prana Zion pants which are a great pant for, uh, more probably my favorite pants because they're so, th- they're pretty light and they dry out pretty quickly. So um, basically I'd, I hung up my wet clothing inside the tent in hopes that it would dry. Obviously it, it never did. And uh, I got that Merino Vormi shirt and I put it inside my sleeping bag and kind of hoped that it would, it would somewhat dry out or the, some of the moisture would get wicked out of the, out of the shirt and into the sleeping bag and kind of dry out from there. So, um, yeah, it, uh, we got in the tents before dark and uh, it rained all night um, and got up the next morning and, uh, you know, the rain had actually stopped, but it was still a little fogged in. And after a short while, probably 30 minutes or an hour, the, the fog lifted and the sun came out and we, uh, we kind of draped all of our wet stuff on some, uh, on some of the alders there uh, or willows, I guess you'd call them. And uh, got dressed for the day and basically just put on uh, put on wet clothing. Um, I had a pair of dry socks. I put on the wet prana pants. That warmie shirt didn't really dry out all that much. I put that on, and uh, and you're just kind of you're kind of wet and cold. But you, that's just the name of the game on the hunt. Um, talking to Dennis again later uh, when we got back, he he said, you know, this is an awesome hunt, but it's not it's not fun camping. So you know you're going to be wet. You're going to be uncomfortable, and that's something that you kind of need to get in the mindset for before you uh, before you go out on these types of hunts. So I definitely got the full Alaskan experience, even though it was such a short hunt. But, um, yeah, it was, I, I knew it was going to get wet. And, I mean, what, what are you going to do, though? And uh, we get people ask us about mental toughness all the time. And you kind of just have to accept that, um, you know, this is uh, this is, I guess, a quote-unquote adventure hunt. You're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to face different types of weather adversity-wise. And um, you kind of just have to go with it, because I mean, what are you gonna do? You're gonna you're gonna tell them you're done and call in an airplane and get air flighted out. Um, I mean, I'm definitely not gonna do that, and this is definitely a, a trip that I wouldn't be able to do probably um, for a while at least if I didn't work here. And I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna come off the mountain without uh, either a goat or running out of time on the hunt. So. Um, you know, you just kind of have to accept the fact that you're going to be uncomfortable and you're not going to always be warm and um, You know, you're you, know, you just got to keep going and you know, you're not going to die out there unless You know, obviously you fall or something like that, but it's not like you're gonna freeze to death You can always hike down to base camp if it actually comes to it and we got lanterns down there you can you can kind of warm up if you actually if you have to but um, You kind of have to accept the fact that you're gonna be uncomfortable. So, uh, the sun came out on the second day, which was awesome. It doesn't always go like that. Um, talking with those guys, a lot of times you'll get stuck in your tent for a couple of days with the rain. But second day looked to be pretty clear. Started off a little overcast. Sun started coming out. And uh, we laid out some stuff to dry, uh, got dressed, and um, started hiking up the back up the mountain. We wanted to go to where we had seen the, goat, the billy uh, the day prior got over to that area there and, and, uh, he wasn't, he wasn't on this side of the range, but we, um, when we were hiking up. We looked up on that peak where we were the day, um, earlier trying to get to the Billy. And in that little gunsight pass was, uh, there was a Billy standing there. And, and right at that moment, um, two Ravens flew over and were kind of making a bunch of racket and Martin, he's a super smart dude. Um, kind of grew up, uh, I think they kind of grew up um, homeschooled, reading a lot of books. And he was just a really intelligent, intelligent guy. And he was like, that's a good omen. And I was like, what? And he's like, Ravens are the messengers of death. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell is this guy talking about? But I was like, all right, we'll go with it. And um, so we, uh, we wanted to get up on that ridge and that go ended up getting out of that little gun uh I guess you'd call it a little gunsight pass up there at the, on the mountain. And he kind of, he got up on the ridge and he was making his way down the ridge. So, um, and we kind of had to hustle but we started hiking up and uh jimmy jimmy was the one in charge he was, he was the guide and he said that we should get up on that ridge and see if we can intercept him and coming straight down so we uh, we hiked pretty quick uh i think one of the coolest parts about this hunt is the terrain you know it's it is very very steep um, very slick because of the rain uh, a lot of times like i said you had to wear crampons and uh, hiking up into these cliffs, a lot of the time, I left my bow strapped to my pack because I wanted to be able to use all all four appendages. I wanted to be able to use my hands um, instead of having to hold a bow. So um, I either had a trekking pole in one hand, or I had both hands to to grab onto ledges. And I think one of the one thing is you're always just super focused because, you know, if you slip off some of these rocks you're going to fall quite a ways and you're going to get hurt. Um, so it just, it just, you're, you're all tuned up and, and super focused and paying attention. And, uh, if you're scared of heights, this hunt's probably not for you, but if you're, if you want in some sort of adventure, which is funny, cause I told these guys, you know, this is kind of a, uh, an adventure hunt for a lot of people, but you know, they live there and they're like, man, this is just hunting for us. Um, so it, it was, it was a lot of, a lot of fun, but we, we got up in those cliffs, hiked up, um, got up there fairly quickly. And that goat was just walking straight down that ridge. He would feed a little bit and he was walking. And every once in a while we were, you know, we were kind of trying to use the, the, the rocks and the, the terrain um, to our advantage to stay out of sight. And every once in a while, Jimmy would pop up, look at him through his spotter. And then he'd say, you know, we need to hurry and, we basically got to a spot where we could drop our our packs um i had no i did i would you know we were kind of trying to stay down martin and i and then jimmy would pop up and take a look but i had no clue the goat was so close and uh, jimmy's like we need to drop packs here and and get ready so I'm, i'm hiking behind him and then like 10 yards after we started hiking or walking towards the goat he's like you should probably put an arrow on and, uh, and be ready. I'm like, well, how close was the goat? And he's like, it was just right there just a second ago and probably a hundred It was probably a hundred yards and there was a little grassy patch and he wasn't there anymore. So I'm like, holy shit, this thing must be close and probably no longer than uh, another 20, 30 yards. Um, I'm walking behind Jimmy and I'm kind of ranging stuff as I walk. So I I ranged this one rock and I think it was 50 or 60 yards. And so I'm kind of, thinking, well, if that goat's going to pop over the hill there, it's probably where he's going to pop over. So as each step, I'm deducting yardage from from that 60 or 50 yards. And uh, a few steps later, Jimmy's like, There's the, there he is, there he is. And you, you kind of just barely see his, his horns pop over the, the top of the hill. And we both ducked down. I had an arrow knocked, and uh, I was able to range him. And he was he was right at 40 yards. He took another couple steps up so I can get a, a full frontal view of him. And he was kind of quartered. Uh, quarter two and I had the, a good, a good opportunity to shoot. So, um, Jimmy ducked down, he was kind of off to my right, just in front of me. And I, I drew back and, uh, kind of waited a second to see if he was going to turn or anything and he didn't. So I, I took the shot. I, I feel fairly comfortable on frontal shots. Um, and Jimmy had not, I don't think he'd, I think he'd been on one hunt with another archery hunter and hadn't wasn't really too familiar with archery. So I shot the goat. I felt super confident with the shot. It looked awesome. And he looks at me and he's like, Jesus, dude, he was freaking facing us. And I'm like, oh shit, are you mad? He's like, no, but that was crazy. I can't believe you hit him. I'm like, no, I wasn't that hard of a shot. I mean, it was a little windy. Um, (laughs) But uh, at the angle, he was kind of quartered too. So I I just, I am basically right around that shoulder area and it went in there, went in right, along the shoulder and came out, um, just in front of the, uh, rear quarter. So I definitely caught a lung and liver. And then I'm sure a whole other plethora of guts and stuff on, on there. Um, so we, as soon as I hit him, we run up, uh, we run up and, uh, cause the goat turned and ran and, uh, you can just see the blood is just gushing out of this thing. And I was like, give me your gun. I'll shoot him again. He's like, why? He's like, he's going to die. Right. And I'm like, "Well." I've just heard all these. I've heard all of these uh, horror stories where these people shoot goats and they just end up running and jumping off of cliffs and you can't get to them. So I'm like, I'll I'll freaking anchor this thing. And he's like, No, no, you're good, you're good. Um, So it luckily the route it ran, it ran down and there was a little lake down there and there weren't any crazy cliffs where it was going to run to. So I definitely did not need to to shoot it. I was just. You know, I was a little anxious and excited, and I was just like, let me shoot this thing. But, um, you know, luckily the one shot was, was plenty. It ran down, kind of went over this little knoll, and it went down into a, kind of like a scree area where we couldn't see it, and it went down into the lake. So we kind of waited there for a second, actually a few minutes, and made sure it didn't come back out, and I felt great about the shot. It was a, it was a good shot, and uh, and he never came back out, so we went. Uh, went back to the packs, talked to Martin and I was like, Martin, did you see that? He's like, hell yeah, I saw it. It was awesome, dude. Um, and, uh, we kind of waited there for probably 20 minutes and this was actually the only spot on the mountain where I had cell phone service. So I turned on, I turned my, uh, I took my phone out of airplane mode, um, texted, I texted Aaron, my girlfriend and, and my mom and I was like, I shot a goat. I can't freaking believe it. Freaking. It was so unreal. because I, you know, I went up there without expectations of, if, of shooting one with a bow. I wanted to shoot one with a bow, but if it came down to it, you know, I did, wasn't sure how many opportunities I would get like this, um, to go on these, these hunts, which I'm super grateful for. So if it came down to it, I was definitely going to shoot one with the guide's gun. Um, but it, everything just worked out, you know, the, the, uh, the goat w- basically walked right to us and, um, I was into, I was able to put a good shot on it. Uh with the Iron Will, I shot him with the S-125 uh, Iron Will head and uh, Eastern Axis arrow, and man, it just it did some real damage to him. We um, so we, we grabbed our gear, followed the path which the the goat ran, and um, we ended up on this small cliff, probably twenty yards or twenty feet tall. It wasn't very big, 20-30 um, feet tall, and peeked over the edge, and he was laying there down in the scree, right on the uh, right on the bank of the of that of that lake. So um, man, it was just crazy scenic, uh, if I was a goat, it'd definitely be a spot I would, I would want to, I would want to die, I guess, but, um, we were kind of just joking around, like, man, it's crazy how goats jump off these cliffs, like, they just, they must live their whole lives peeking over cliffs, and thinking, like, what if I jumped off of this, then, like, nah, and then, you know, when they're about to die, they just go, and maybe it's, like, one last fuck you to the hunter, also, like, I'm gonna jump off this cliff, and good luck getting to me, but, um, we were able to make our way down to that, down to that lake and, uh, there he was. So it was cool. We, um, took a few pictures, ended up being a, a bit of a younger goat, which, you know, I, I told those guys, uh, I'm not a trophy hunter. You know, the, the trophy to me, which I don't care if it sounds cheesy or not, but is the whole, the whole hunt, the experience of going up to Alaska, flying in on a freaking float plane and then paddling across a bay it was just unreal, something that um, I'll always remember. And that was the, just the whole experience. And then being able to shoot a goat with the uh, with a bow was just the icing on top. So, man, it was it was an unreal experience. We we snapped some photos. Um, Jimmy got to work on skinning it out, and then uh, d- um, we quartered it out. And after you know, he would cut off a quarter or whatever. Martin and I would work on deboning it, and kind of worked as a team there. And got it done really quickly, and um, after you took the skin off, you just see the devastation of that, that arrow, and I was talking to Aaron about it, um, I think yesterday, and I think a, there's just a, you don't really understand the damage an arrow and a broadhead can do to an animal. It's, a lot of times, it looks like a gunshot, it, and it sometimes, honestly, it could probably even be more damaging just with the, the cutting that it does on the inside where a bullet might just crush and then stop, but... Um, Yeah, I had an entrance and an exit wound, and man, that thing just bled. We followed the blood, even though we knew where the goat was um, or where he ended up was going to end up. We followed the blood trail, and man, that that blood trail was just unreal. Um, I can't say enough good stuff about that arrow setup I got with the the axis arrow. It's a 260 axis with the iron wheel footer and iron wheel um, insert, which are 25 grains each, and then that 125 grain head. and I have those four fletch with an AAE uh, max stealth vein. So I, I think last time I I can't quite remember exact weight on them, but they're right around like 538 grains. So a pretty hefty uh, pretty hefty arrow setup. Um, shooting that out of a Obsession FXL bow that's at 82 pounds. And I can't say enough good stuff about that bow. That's probably one of the best bows I've shot personally. My favorite bows. I'm not going to say it's the best bow out there because um we know how <laughs> people just throw out the word best but I shoot that bow better than any other bow I've ever shot and um you know we're not paid or sponsored by anybody so take that for what you will but um man I I love that bow and it's it's shot just freaking lights out for me this year so um and I've also had some questions about the let off and and stuff on those bows so I think um I think they are advertised at 85% let off, which in Colorado, you have to be 80% or less on the let off. My bow came in at 78% let off. So I didn't have to do any tweaking on that particular one. Um, one thing you can do on those, uh, talking with the guys, uh, over at the, at, um, DNA archery, they, they've had a few of those they've tinkered around with, and you can kind of get some like, uh, uh, shrink wrap tubing and you can put them over the, the limb stops on there and, and kind of tinker with it that way. So you can alter the, um, alter the, uh, the lead off or my buddy, Ben Thompson, he put like a O-ring and some electrical tape on his to get it legal for whichever states he hunts. So if you do end up picking one of those up, just be aware of that. Um, you may have to do a little bit of tinkering, but on that particular bow, I did not. I do have a a, a black one that I think is just a smidge over What's Colorado legal? So I haven't been hunting with that one, and haven't tinkered with it too much. So, um but yeah, it was a, it was man, just a a, a cool experience. The scenery there, um, something out of a movie. I I was telling those guys, it kind of reminded me like when in the Matrix when <laughs> when uh, Keanu Reeves is chasing that Keymaker guy, and he goes through that door and ends up in the mountains, and it's like sheer cliffs and it was just that's kind of what it was like you, once you get up into that cliff country it, it is just so steep and and crazy and then you look off in the distance further inland and you see these uh crazy jagged peaks with glaciers and snow and stuff so man just the scenery there was unbelievable um definitely not going to make it into a i'm not going to over describe it like a Donnie vincent film or something but man it was it was definitely something that i'll never forget but we, uh, we ended up um, skinning out deboning and got all loaded up I um, I had the hide Martin had the uh, the meat and then um, uh, Jimmy's like well I got to carry something I'm like well, all right you can carry the head so we <laughs> we packed up and got back to spy camp and uh, it was still uh, decently early I think it was around 2 p.m. so we decided um, Jimmy called uh, Dennis on the SAT phone, let him know what happened. We got a goat down and we were at spy camp. We we're going to pack up and head down to base camp. And uh, if a plane could come get us, then awesome. And if not, we were going to hang out at base camp. So, um, and basically what determined whether or not we'd get picked up is the, the, um, the tide. So once that tide leaves that bay, it, it literally leaves the bay and there, it, you, the plane wouldn't be able to get to us without us, um, carrying gear from the base camp along the, the bottom of the whatever I guess the tide the tidal flats there and waiters so we uh, we got to camp uh, packed up and uh, our, the nice thing about having three guys and, and also I don't know if the clients generally carry much of the goat or much of the gear depending on I guess who the client is You know, I was definitely very willing to uh, carry my share of, of the gear so we packed up didn't take us too long we got all of our gear loaded up those guys were using uh i believe they both had uh, crater packs with um with guide lids so we all had plenty of room to uh pack up gear and stuff and and um i had that new that new pack that aaron i think talked about on his part of the, his podcast um which was which was really cool uh Definitely, since it wasn't like our X material, a rain cover is, is highly ad advised there. I mean, I wouldn't want to do that hunt without it just because of, of the amount of rain that it gets. But other than that, that pack was awesome. So hopefully we'll have that out here pretty soon to um, so keep, uh, keep an eye out. But we, uh, yeah, we hiked out. We, we had to throw crampons on right away. It's just super steep. And especially that, that section right out of, out of the spy camp is kind of right along a, a waterfall. So. Made it a little bit interesting. Um, I gotta say, those guys, man, they uh, they wear those plastic boots, which are super stiff, and uh, they can they can climb like they're mountain goats, and they can also descend like they're mountain goats. So, um, yeah, they uh, I was I was really impressed on just like I we've talked about before I fall down all the freaking time. I got like rubber ankles. So I'm always like twisting an ankle or something and falling down. Although I don't think I ever saw w- those guys fall down one single time, which is funny. And actually there's this little section right before you get off the, um, you come off of the hunt and you're coming down to spike camp and, um, the, on the first night, Martin's like, uh, be super careful right here. More people have fallen right here than any other place. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And I take one step and I fall on my ass and I slide like 30 yards down the hill. <laughs> and they're like, dude, we just told you not to fall. But, um, but anyway, yeah, we, uh, we got the crampons on, started hiking down and, uh, probably took us about the same amount of time to get back down as it did to, uh, to get up just because we had the weight on our backs and kind of trying to Bust our way through the brush along the trail and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, we just took our time uh, hiking down, and eventually got back down to those, down to where we had the waiters and dropped our packs, threw the waiters on, and hiked um, back over to the to the raft. And uh, one thing I left out at the beginning is you get in these tidal flats, and I guess this is right around the time uh, the salmon are migrating back up river, and there's just dead fish everywhere, and it smells like rotten fish it's something that uh you just have to be there to experience it's freaking wild because you know here in colorado we don't have monster fish like that and there's just all these huge salmon and and different i guess i guess they're all salmon just big i don't know maybe two foot maybe bigger salmon just dead and then in the rivers you see you see just groups of them that are alive still just grouped up starting to swim up and it was a really cool experience something that you can only see like on tv and and, uh, yeah, you just kind of, um, I mean, I'm sure there's grizzlies up there. We didn't see any, and there's also a lot of black bears. So you're kind of keeping an eye out for that. We, uh, the grasses are kind of tall in parts of the, parts of those, um, where the river comes out. And then, uh, we start walking and then like a flock of, of geese fly up and you're like, holy shit. kind of freaked us all out. We're like, oh God, I thought that was a bear, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was cool. We, um, we hiked back to the, to the Zodiac, um, drug it back. The water is actually pretty high coming down from the rivers. So walking in the first time up up the hill, we you know you you have your waders on and you kind of there's like these little streams coming off the river that feed into the bay. And at that time they were probably knee high at the at the deepest. Well, walking back, you know, we have our packs on and the waters had risen and uh, we got up to a few spots that were like belly button high in the water. We had to cross just to get back to the raft. We which were no big deal. We were wearing waders, um, so we we got back to the raft, threw our packs in there, drug it back to the to the bay, and hopped in and uh, paddled back. And it was kind of a, a a cool experience as well. You know, it's very calm and quiet out there, and just those guys are paddling there, and uh, you just kind of sit back and enjoy it. So it's a it's probably about a five or ten minute paddle across the bay, and we got back to the base camp, and um, Jimmy called in and they ended up uh the tides with tide was high enough to where the pilot could come get us so we uh we all cracked open uh we had a victory ipa alaskan ipa beer and then we packed up camp probably only took us oh i don't know 30 minutes to pack everything up and waited there for for another probably 20 minutes or so and by the time the the plane was there to grab us and loaded it up and uh we were on our way back to, to town so uh, got back unloaded and um got back to the hotel and had another couple of victory alaskan amber so it was man that was uh, probably a very summarized description of the hunt but um hopefully i did a decent job describing it but uh yeah i just want to say thank you again to kafaro and aaron for letting me go and and to dennis and the guys um i had a, a great time and you know it's definitely uh for some people it might not be an adventure but I thought it was a, a pretty cool adventure style hunt um, it's one of those hunts where you know you are going to be uncomfortable and miserable and some of the camping is not going to be fun you're going to be wet but you know that little bit of adversity that comes along with it and then you have a successful hunt it's just uh, something that you'll never forget and something I'm, I'm super super grateful to uh, have had the opportunity to do I had an amazing time um, snapped a lot of cool photos and uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully someday, or we'll be able to go back up, up and uh, hunt with Dennis or do another goat hunt or you know what have you. But um, yeah, it's, there's a lot of opportunities up there, and um, I didn't get another tag, but you can you can get a bear tag there. There's a lot of black bears in parts of the area. So I'm sure they're they're munching down on all the berries there. So I think uh, Aaron and his guys, uh, they I think they saw. F- five or six bears along their hunt and then um there were two other hunters while we were there uh Dan and Ken um Dan the son and Ken's the dad they were rifle hunting and I th- last I heard I think Dan shot a, a goat and then I hadn't I hadn't, um heard anything else on on Ken but hopefully those guys had a successful hunt but um yeah it's one of those hunts where you don't really know what you're getting into till you get there but uh it was just a freaking awesome time and Something I'm grateful that I hadn't ex- had the opportunity to experience because, uh, yeah, I'd n- I had never been to Alaska, but man, it, was, it was freaking awesome. So, um, yeah, big thanks to everybody again. Um, hopefully, I covered all bases there. Uh, gear wise, I'll just quickly go over it. So, again, I had my Obsession FXL bow, uh, Eastern Axis arrows, um, Iron Wheel head, 125 head, uh, running the new Kafaru uh, it's going to be a, a bigger 44 mag around that 7,000 cubic inch range. Um, rain cover. I used the uh, Cryptech um, Altitude series of rain gear, which worked out great. Um, probably the, the my favorite rain gear that I've used. That either that or the Sitka gear. I don't think you can go wrong either way. Um, boots. I was running the, uh, Salewa Raven. Those are the boots I generally run for most of the season. Um, they did awesome. You know, we, it was, it was wet the whole time and my feet did not get wet one time. So it had zero issues there. Uh, pants wise wearing in the Prana Zion pants. Um, the Vormi, um, river run hoodie. Um, hopefully we can get those guys on the podcast. I was talking to somebody there and they wanted to at first and then they decided they didn't want to. So I'm not sure if they're, uh, their demographic is, is hunting, but, um, I think they are kind of missing the boat on that. So, um, I had the Sitka heavyweight hoodie, a first light Brino, um, beanie and face mask. Uh, I think I brought the Sitka mountain gloves, which I wish I had brought, um, two pairs of gloves just because, you know, once one pair of gloves gets wet, that, that style is kind of pretty much screwed, but had our lost park parka and our zero degree slick bag, which I think were as far as gear goes, probably my most essential pieces of gear, just because I was still able to keep warm while wearing that stuff, even though I was wet. Um, yeah. So I think that was most of the, uh, most of the gear I I had. I, I, I had taken my uh, Easton trekking poles and, if you don't have trekking poles, Dennis has ice axes there, which are actually pretty cool. They're black diamond ice axes that he's reinforced with steel tubing and kind of welded them to the two together, so they're they're very bombproof. So if you don't have your own, he'll have that stuff for you. But um, yeah, if uh, if you guys have any questions, definitely let us know. Um, hopefully, I covered most bases there. And again, thanks uh, thanks for listening, and also thanks to Kafaro, Aaron, and Lunsim Duff for giving me the opportunity.